Offsets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Williams had a record book. Ricky Williams runs to the Hall of Fame. Touchback. Ricky Williams touchdown. Young from the shotgun. Back to throw. Vince looks. Under pressure. He'll tuck it in run. Vince to the five. Young. Touchdown, Texas. Touchdown, Vince Young. He's done it again. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Hello, welcome into another edition of Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson, and I will be your host. And once again, I am joined by recruiting analyst from Sports Illustrated, John Garcia, a very good friend of mine and a recruiting Jedi master. Uh, John, how's it going? I've upgraded to Jedi master. No, no, no Padawan status anymore. You were well past Padawan status okay. like years ago. You, you're you're full Luke Skywalker Yoda at this point. I'm pumped. I appreciate it very, very much. <laughs> Obviously, the big news out of Longhorn Nation this week is that Arch Manning is reportedly, keyword reportedly, down to two schools. Uh, but we'll touch on that in a minute. Uh, first, let's get some housekeeping out of the way. Texas heads to Fort Worth this weekend to take on TCU after a beatdown of Texas Tech, 70 to 35 this past weekend. Um, obviously a really important game for the Horns, second Big 12 game of the season, but it, it, it precedes the Oklahoma game a week from Saturday that um, is always the biggest game on Texas's schedule. So you, you want to win these games that you're supposed to win. Texas is favored by five. Um, TCU's been giving up a lot of points lately. Um, give me just your, your standard take on the game and what you think is going to happen on Saturday. I was surprised the line was, was so low. I thought it would be seven to 10 in that range. I don't think there's a, a trap game feel here. This is still year one under Sark and scanning the interwebs today, a little bit of a chip on a shoulder, a little bit of a, you know, Hey, they're not giving us the respect that maybe he thought Texas would get. Um, and I think this, this is the perfect storm before a big game like Oklahoma. It's a natural refocus, a bit of a Nick Saban ploy there to kind of use the media to message your team. So I think the refocus will be there for Texas. The offense is coming together. We know about the athletes on the outside, Xavier Worthy coming off of, of his breakout performance. But let's not forget about Bijan Robinson, maybe the best running back in the country. And, and like you said, TCU, despite churning out NFL DBs, giving up a lot of points lately so I think that balance will be really key for Texas I think they control the game I think they control the clock and like I said I, I could see this as a 31-21 kind of win so I was surprised to see the line that low I think Texas rolls and goes into that Red River shootout or rivalry or whatever we're allowed to call it these days feeling as good as it has since uh, probably the preseason quarterback seems to be solved that distribution is is kind of figured out TCU is been weird you know Gary Patterson has been very accusatory and, and focused on non-football things while Sark is is chip on your shoulder angry let's get this done and, and maybe even make a statement kind of game so I think this is this is trending nicely for Texas I think Robinson has a huge day and starts to get Oklahoma fans a little bit worried and they should be right because they haven't looked great this year despite being undefeated so I think Texas takes care of business. I would uh, I would bet on the horns if we're, if we're playing with theoretical money. I would lay those five points without a whole lot of hesitation. 
Yeah, and obviously uh, there's still a lot of question marks surrounding the Texas team after that uh, embarrassment in Arkansas. And they've been doing their best to kind of get the get the faith of the Longhorn uh, fans back, um, beat down of Rice, beat down of Texas Tech, but you're supposed to win those games. Um, and a- after the Texas Tech win, people thought maybe, hey, you know, maybe Texas should eke its way back into the top 25. Um, they did not. I think the rest of the nation is sort of looking for um, one more good win in order to get them back in there. Um, and we'll see what happens this weekend. I, I also agree. I think Texas takes this one fairly easily. Uh, TCU's given up over a thousand yards, I think, in the last two two games, which is not Gary Patterson style football. Um, and Texas's offense is kind of hitting it on all cylinders. Sure, they need to shore, shore up the defense a little bit, but um, you know, you and I were both very excited about Xavier Worthy heading into the season. Um, it took a little bit for him to get off the ground a couple games. Once Casey Thompson got out there, however, it seemed like he really uh, has started to hit his stride, and that is very exciting for Texas, who, you know, has been in desperate need of a difference-making wide receiver in recent years, um, and he has certainly looked that way over the last couple of weeks. But, John, let's go ahead and stop beating around the bush and get into the big news of the week. Um, obviously, recruiting is what drives the engine of college football. And uh, perhaps the biggest recruit in any classification right now is Arch Manning. Uh, we talked a lot about him a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, but things have sort of taken a turn, so to speak. Um, according to a report from our good friend, Brooks Austin, who is a very good friend of ours, even though we're saying very uh directly this is reportedly reportedly (laughs) um brooks is a very good friend of ours and he knows people and he's connected so um there's very there very well could be some uh serious truth to this um but reportedly arch is down to two schools now um and that is texas and georgia um not what i expected a couple months ago not what i expected a couple weeks ago uh, had you asked me a couple weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, Alabama, Clemson, um, which it seems to be where all the good quarterbacks go these days. But, John, kind of break down Brooks's report a little bit um, and and kind of tell us where things stand now, because this is a very intriguing recruitment, not just because of the name, not just because of the um, the implications that come with NIL and all that stuff. I mean, that's all very important. But – Arch is such a important recruit because of the, the um, impact that his commitment will have on the entirety of the 2023 class. Once that happens, recruits are going to start to commit left and right, I believe. So break it down a little bit for us and tell us what's going on. So, of course, this none of this is coming from Arch. And I think that's really the theme of his entire recruitment, right? There's no... There's no tweets saying blessed to receive an offer from Notre Dame and blah, blah, blah. There's no top five tweets. There's no hype that he is drumming up. And the kid, I mean, the kid's Instagram is private. I mean, this is, this is the anti-recruit. He just happens to have the biggest quarterback name. I I think now we can say ever, right? the, The Mannings are the first family of quarterbacks in the world and it continues to grow. So He's not hyping the train. Everyone else is. And now all of a sudden it's like, are these two teams separating themselves from the rest? Well, it, does it really matter? 
because Arch is a little bit earlier in this process than maybe all of us thought. I thought he would maybe make a decision before this season began and just kind of be a committed recruit and go from there and be done with it because of all the hype and all the control that his dad, Cooper, and the family have had over the recruitment just to get it over with because all those offers, of course, have long been on the table. So now the report says after the visit of Georgia, uh, to Georgia for that South Carolina game where he was on ESPN, everybody saw all that fun stuff, that Georgia's really doing a good job. And so is Texas with this recruitment. And they have now separated themselves ahead of Alabama, uh, Clemson, Ole Miss, LSU, everybody else in the race for Arch Manning. Well, Glenn West, another one of our colleagues at SI, spoke to Coach Nelson there at, uh, or excuse me, Nelson Stewart there at Newman High School. And he's talking about every single college. He's visiting Alabama this weekend. He's going to visit Ole Miss later in the month of October when they play LSU. All three of those schools still in it. Clemson is going to host him for a visit later this fall as well. And of course, so will, will Texas, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So even if the two have separated themselves right now, everything from Arch's coach, who is still filtering a lot of his recruitment, says that he's kind of in the early stages of the decision-making process. So it's very contradictory. And I think this is exactly why there's so much talk around Arch is because nobody has a true handle on it. And maybe that includes Arch himself. Everything his coach is saying is that he's focused on Friday nights and he's just taking these visits to really watch these offenses and build relationships with multiple coaching staffs. He suggests that six schools are in it, including LSU, which is really the school that nobody has talked about with, with Arch Manning forever in his recruitment. Everyone has talked about Texas and Georgia and Bama and Clemson and Ole Miss at different points. We have not heard a lot of tangible LSU conversation. Well, here we go. Now, when he visits Ole Miss, he's going to keep an eye on that LSU offense as well. Just like when he's visiting Alabama this weekend, he's going to keep an eye on Matt Corral and that Ole Miss offense as well. So this is not your traditional recruit in almost any sense. And LSU was really the first school to get in on this kid. Ed Orgeron was the first head coach he spoke to. Jake Peets, the OC, is a guy he connects with every week, his coach revealed. And obviously, that's the local school. So it's one of those where every time we learn something new about Arch's recruitment, throw away everything else you've heard about it. So even if the sources, and I've heard similar to Brooks now, let me make that clear. I've heard similar that Texas with Sark, with the potential NIL cap and ceiling has separated itself along with Georgia for some of the same reasons in this recruitment. But it all boils down to when it may end. And the anticipation of a summer decision has, has since passed. The anticipation of a potential fall decision seems like there's no way. He's making all these visits. There's still a lot of roads left to cover. So now we're getting to the traditional window for quarterbacks to make a commitment, which is in between their junior and senior seasons, which means there's so much left to be had, including potential coaching changes, not only head coaches and, and you know, maybe Ed Orgeron, you know what's the bed and, and LSU moves on, something like that, but also assistant coaches. He's developing relationships with play callers and quarterback coaches throughout, you know, these six programs. And again, he has never listed six programs or five programs, much less two. So there could be more involved than even the coach 
or, or we are talking about. So it's, it's so fascinating. It's like its own 30 for 30 and it's brilliant. It's like a brilliant, um, it's a brilliant unintended consequence of the Manning strategy to keep the kid focused on football and, and not ever jumped publicly into the recruiting conversation. Everything has been about his actions, which has created so much additional speculation, so many additional outlets and, and avenues of conversation. You couldn't even watch the Manning broadcast of the Cowboys-Eagles game on Monday night without wondering if Arch was going to come up. And sure enough, Saban is a guest, right? Nick Saban is a guest. And, you know, there's a whole lot of coded selling there, right? And then Lane Kiffin this week, quote tweeting some of that stuff. I love the Mannings, right? I mean, all of it creates its own narratives, and he's so coveted at 6'4", 215. By the way, nine touchdowns through two games so far this year. So it, it, this isn't just a hype train. It's tangible in terms of why he's good. Good runner, by the way. Multiple rushing scores so far at 6'4", 215. So there's a lot to like about Arch on the field. So now these head coaches are involved, and it, it feels like they don't even know the pecking order. So yes, I've heard similar to Brooks's report that Texas and Georgia have separated themselves, but we've also heard that LSU's in this race more than everybody gives them credit for at this point. And, and, and on all these visits, Arch is watching the team who's hosting him and their opponent simultaneously, because obviously one offense is, is always on the field. So when he visits Bama this weekend, Ole Miss fans, don't worry, he's watching your guys too. He's watching how Lane and Jeff Levy operate that offense and Matt Corral. So it's really a, a cerebral approach to the recruiting process. And that's not something we, we see consistently in this business. So let the Arch Manning hoopla continue because at the end of the day, I don't even know if Arch knows where he's going on September 30th at 2.08 p.m. Eastern. So let the speculation roll on. And it's just this brilliant unintended consequence of, his name, his profile at that position. And he's not even a senior. He's in the class of, of 2023. So I think this is a, a fascinating scenario and, and it's going to play out a lot longer, certainly than I expected it to. Okay, so why don't we do this? Why don't we go through school by school? You mentioned a lot of it, but based on what you're saying, I get the feeling that certain schools will have an inherent advantage over the other. Um, and what I mean by that is if, if he's watching these offenses and how they operate, um, Texas and Ole Miss and Alabama would seem to have sort of an advantage in that sense over Georgia and right now Clemson. Uh, part of that's due to personnel on, on, on Clemson's part, but, you know, Georgia is, has never really been a high-flying offense. Um, it's very much more pro-style, whereas – you know, Texas just put up 70 points. Ole Miss is putting up uh, the most points in the country over the first five weeks. Um, Alabama's always Alabama. Um, why don't we go through each school one by one, what we think is the biggest advantages for them and really how they compare to, to the others. Because I, for example, when you talked about LSU, I, I think there's, so there's two sides of this to me. One, the one side is maybe he's not mentioning LSU because that might be actually the secret favorite, secret favorite. And, you know, that would explain why he's not talking about them because, you know, that those, that's the one he's actually looking really hard at. That's probably not as 
is reasonable. The other is maybe LSU really hasn't been talked about because of their offensive struggles when they haven't had Joe Burrow and, and, uh, and Brady, uh, who's now in the NFL, uh, both of whom are now in the NFL, I should say. So let's start with Texas since this is a Longhorns podcast after all. Um, what about Texas's offense fits Arch the most? And we can talk about the NIL stuff too, but what, what does, where does Texas's advantage lie with Arch in terms of schematics? It's Steve Sarkeesian. It's the modern quarterback, not whisperer, that's, that's cliche. It's the modern quarterback approach as, as both a passer, a ball distributor, and even as a runner, because again, this skill set, um, this skill set is different than what we've seen over time Sarkeesian utilize. Um, Arch, again, Arch wants to be known as a dual threat. It won't happen because his last name's Manning and the last dual threat was in black and white when his grandfather Archie was running around uh, in, in college at Ole Miss. But he wants to be known as a dual threat, sees a speed trainer twice a week in the offseason, literally. So with Steve Sarkeesian having that type of skill set, which is, is something we're starting to see now with Casey Thompson a little bit, and, and we'll see it more, I, I expect, over the next couple of weeks against TCU and Oklahoma, now there's just more potential to utilize the entirety of that skill set. But even if it's relegated to passing and playing in the pocket, the schematics that Sarkeesian has presented are as good as it gets in college football. Go watch that national title game against Ohio State when Sark, of course, called his last game at Alabama. It's a masterclass of getting guys open against elite talent. How much is Ohio State missing a lot of those defensive stars from that, that team last year? They shredded them. They shredded them with Mac Jones, who, no disrespect, I covered Mac as early as I've been covering Archie, or Arch, excuse me. Uberly, uberly, uberly advantage towards Arch Manning. And Mac Jones is a first-round draft pick. But from a physical quarterback perspective, both were very mature, I will say that. Both were very mature at their age. Both confident in their age. And both better athletes than given credit for but in terms of arm talent, frame, and strength, it's not even close. It's not even close. So with what Mac Jones did, setting the accuracy record and, and going from the guy who came in with Tua, known as kind of his backup, to a, a guy who became a, a, a Heisman candidate and first-round draft pick and a, a year-one starter in the NFL, that ascent, that Mac Jones ascent, is about as good as it gets in terms of quarterback development and execution that we've seen in the last decade. More so that like Joe Burrow, we got the flashes the year prior, right? In 2018, when his first year as the LSU quarterback, we saw flashes of the athleticism and the arm. And as the end of the year got there, you were kind of like, Joe Burrow's pretty darn good. And this LSU team's going to be really good in 19. Now, nobody thought it was going to be historically good like we saw, but you could see the signs. With Mac Jones in 2019, you saw a little bit of that, but he was thrust into action because Tua was banged up. So it wasn't the same type of commitment and game plan and one-on-one -on -one 
as we saw last year with Mac Jones. And now, even through a quarterback change, we're starting to see it with Sarkeesian. So it's the pedigree, the potential with that type of skill set. Sark doesn't have that skill set on campus right now. It might be coming in Malik Murphy, but he doesn't have it right now on that Longhorn roster. He's made the change. He's going from there. And I suspect if that continues to get better, that's an only more of an indication for Arch Manning and Sark and Texas, because that is what he's watching. This is what his coach is saying. He is watching these offenses operate and going from there. And Sark has had to do it compared to all the other teams. Maybe Georgia's in this conversation. He's had to do it with multiple quarterbacks, but Georgia's had to do it because of injury to JT Daniels. Texas has done it by choice. So I think, again, when you're talking about a mature quarterback who understands that is something that is more impressive. It's all about Sarkeesian, the Texas brand, and that pitch for me. And one of the things that I think Sark does so well, I mean, a lot of coaches do this kind of thing, but I've noticed it with Sark primarily, I guess, because I cover Sark. But the little micro adjustments he can make just in the middle of a drive, even, that get guys open, that um, get points on the board like it like in the in the season opener against Louisiana he he talked about this in a press or Bijan Robinson is the one that actually talked about this in the press conference they ran the same play two or three times on that drive the first two times Louisiana showed this kind of this certain kind of coverage and was kind of stopping it so Sark made one little change sent Bijan to the other side and he was wide open for a 30-yard touchdown pass so it, it's those kinds of little things I think that that separate guys like Sark I'm not just going to say Sark because he's not the only smart quarterback guy in the country but as we'll talk about in a minute but um, it's just little things like that that guys like Sark have that I think Arch really gravitates towards because he's also a very cerebral guy I mean obviously look at the Mannings (laughs) on Monday Night Football every single week now you know they're just breaking down every single play The, the football mind in that family is insane um, and, and I liked how you mentioned Archie because that is Arch's namesake after all. Uh, that's who he was named after. Um, if he ends up being more like Archie than like Peyton or Eli, what a story that would be, huh? Kind of a combination of, of his dad's athleticism, Cooper, with the, the arm talent is, is Eli or Peyton. Um, that could be a really special player. But Okay, let's move on next. Let's let's go to the, the second school named in that report. Let's go to Georgia. Georgia is a whole hell of a lot different than Texas in terms of offense and schematics. Um, they run a completely different kind of system. They're much more defensive-minded than Texas is at this point, at least. Um, arguably the best defense in the country. That Arkansas game this weekend is probably going to be 10-3 to 3 by the end of the game. Um since they are so different offensively and it's not the same kind of wide open um, offense that's capable of scoring 70 in a game against a conference opponent, what is it about Georgia that you think Arch likes? This is the legacy pick in, in this race, not in terms of family legacy, in terms of Arch having an opportunity to go make his own. We've seen great quarterbacks and and droves of them at basically all the other schools recently, right? You know, Heisman winners, guys who are right up there, number one draft picks, blah, blah, blah. Georgia, outside of Matt Stafford, which let's be honest, 
how much does Arch Manning know? I mean, he probably knows a lot because of his family, but in terms of his age, you know, Matt Stafford was at Georgia when Arch was like being born. So you're aging me right now, John. Right. Well, I know, I know, I know. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just saying we're the same age, same day. But (laughs) my point is, is that in recent memory compared to Clemson with Lawrence and DJ and Deshaun and all those guys, compared to Bama with Tua and Mac and Jalen Hurts, the guys we just talked about, compared to even Texas with, you know, Vince Young, Colt McCoy, even in recent years, Sam Ellinger. I mean, you had to respect what what that kid did, what that young man did, I should say. This is the different sell. This is the, I can go do my own thing and kind of jump on this train that is seemingly on the ascent, right? Todd Monken has that offense. Yes, still pro style, but being more diverse than we've seen from Georgia. And we've seen UGA step out of its comfort zone just a little bit more and more each game. And I suspect we're going to continue to see that leading up to that game against Florida. But this is the pick in the SEC with that hype to go do your own thing, which is more Peyton-like, right? Obviously, everyone went to Ole Miss. Peyton goes to Tennessee and built his own legacy there. That is what Georgia is to me in this whole Arch Manning conversation. You can't deny Georgia's ability to recruit from head coach Kirby Smart on down. Georgia's been able to recruit with the best of them nationally, year in, year out. And that's high school and the portal, by the way. This is the chance to be kind of on your own. In the SEC East, the only team that he's considering in that division, kind of far out on your own. In terms of not only is this a new legacy for my family, this is a new legacy for that school. Georgia has not been galvanized around a freshman that would have the opportunity to start. They limped into that with Jake Fromm. We thought we would see that with Justin Fields, and it didn't didn't materialize. So if you're Kirby Smart, the sell is, I made that mistake once, and he would never, he would never admit this. He would never admit this, and he knows Arch isn't going to say it in an article. So, I made this mistake once. I'm not doing it again. So, it, it, from both sides, it's the legacy. This is new and improved with the Georgia pitch. And sure, he visited. The atmosphere was great. It was Georgia, South Carolina. They had a ton of recruits there. That's the that's the popular pick from a peer perspective as well given how they've recruited. And Georgia is very good at piecing those things together, much like Oklahoma, much like Alabama. In recent years in recruiting, they piece guys together. So I think all of that crescendoed with Georgia at the South Carolina game. And look, there was probably a little bit of emotion behind the sourcing that Brooks got and that I got, right? Coming from Athens saying like, hey, like, this thing is right here for us. And at that moment, following that weekend, it probably was. So I think that is something to take into account as well. He's not going to see Georgia play again the rest of this year, at least in terms of what's scheduled right now. He's going to see a lot of Georgia's opponents and rivals play, right? Regional opponent, Clemson, interconference rival, Alabama, et cetera. So I think Georgia was a flavorful visit, pick, trend, all at the right time for, for Arch. I think if he was committing soon, I think Georgia would feel as good as it possibly could about it. But again, as we learn more, 
that's not the case. We think this thing's going to extend to late 2021. And it's kind of sounding more likely early 2022 after Newman wraps up their season and they're undefeated and they're going to look, they're going to be a challenger for a state title, which means they're going to play into December or January, depending on the schedule. So I think, I think uh, Louisiana and Texas played state title games in January um, this past year. So if that happens, I don't think a decision comes in the middle of the season for Arch. I think he rides that thing all the way until he's done because everything from his coach says that he's mature and doesn't want to be that guy when he's got his jersey on. He wants to be that he wants to be their quarterback, not the quarterback that's that's kind of looking ahead. Um, so all of those things make me think that Georgia is hot right now for Arch. Can it be sustained? Can Georgia open it up further against Arkansas on Saturday, against Florida in a few weeks, and theoretically in the SEC title game? Can, can that happen? And by the way, let's pencil Arch in for that visit, even though it hasn't been reported. That's my gut right there. SEC title game, whoever it is, let's let's pencil Arch Manning there. Um, so that's the Georgia angle to me. It is all about right now with UGA. Okay, and that, that's interesting because a lot of those things aren't things you necessarily think of on the surface as things that are playing uh, playing a factor in the decision-making of a guy like Arch who um, is already so well-known and so coveted and so famous. Um, I mean, he's 16 years old and he's on getting mentioned on Monday Night Football. Uh, it's kind of ridiculous. But that those are all very good points. I mean, the, Stafford was the last – quarterback at Georgia that um, I mean yeah Aaron Murray was great and all that stuff but Stafford was the last truly elite number one pick style quarterback that that went to Georgia and he you know I'm a big Stafford fanboy uh, we went to high school together I watched every single one of his games um, I think he's going to win an NFL MVP this year but you know the Georgia those Georgia years were underwhelming and Arch is a, the type of player who could really put them over the top. They have everything else, it seems like. Um, so that'll be something really interesting to watch. Now let's move on to the legacy pick. Ole Miss. Um, obviously, I'm an Ole Miss grad, so I'm a little bit biased in terms of, you know, Lane Kiffin and the whole history behind him going there and, um, you know, Eli and Archie and how disappointed I am with Peyton for choosing Tennessee like a traitor. Um, but, <laughs> but that's also very interesting to watch. We, we put out that story about Texas and Georgia being in, in front and Ole Miss fans did not take it very well. It is very important to them, maybe more important to that school than anyone else in the country. How dare you be objective, Matt? I know it's, it's, it's just what I do for a living. It's no big deal, but um, I, I can't imagine what the hysteria would be like in Oxford for whatever decision Arch makes, whether he chooses Ole Miss or chooses Texas or Georgia or Alabama or Clemson or whatever. Um, but Ole Miss does have some things going for it. Yeah. They have the legacy. Um, one thing that's hurting them is that, Matt Luke isn't there anymore. And that's kind of ironic because he has a very good relationship with Matt Luke. Um, who's at Georgia? Family. Yeah, who's at Georgia. 
um, and that could play against them in the end. But, you know, if you're talking about coaches who can get the most out of a quarterback, right up there with Sark, Lane Kiffin's name is is right there. Oddly enough, the last two offensive coordinators for Alabama too, which is, you know, not surprising at all. Yeah, like do we even have to go over Alabama's cell? Uh, yeah, right. I mean, we will, uh, we will for continuity, but come on. Yeah, that'll probably be the shortest one. <laughs> but it's it's kind of um, impressive what Lane Kiffin has been able to do in just two seasons at Ole Miss. Um, he took an offense left over from Matt Luke that had Matt Corral, who is the lead Heisman front runner right now. Um, it had DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Greg Little, Scotty Phillips, Dawson Knox, um, Elijah Moore, all of whom are in the NFL now. And that team went five and seven or four and eight in consecutive years. Um, Corral wasn't the, the quarterback in the, in the previous one, but it doesn't matter. He's taken Matt Luke's players doesn't even have his own players in there yet. And they are the best offense in the country at the moment. Um, Matt Corral looks like the best quarterback in the country at the moment. We'll see how the rest of the year goes. We'll see what happens when we go to Tuscaloosa. But what does Ole Miss have to do to, to separate themselves from Texas or Georgia? Or can they do anything? Because Arch, people of Arch's caliber, and no disrespect to Ole Miss, but people of Arch's caliber typically don't pick the University of Mississippi, if they're going to go to an SEC school. So what what does Ole Miss have to do to, to stay in this race? And frankly, if we're, if we're being honest, pull the upset. It would be an upset. And I think that's a great point. Um, I, I think conventionally you would always think Ole Miss would be in this race because everybody but Peyton went there, right? Archie, Olivia, Cooper, Eli, on and on. But it would be an upset. And I think what Ole Miss has to do is forget about all those connections. Like you said, Matt Luke is that guy. If, if it's anyone, it's Matt Luke right now. It will, or it would have been David Cutcliffe, but obviously Duke is, is not in this race. Uh, there, is, there is a bar that, that Archer is looking for here. But in listening to the coach at Newman High School, it's about recruiting Arch. And I think that was a built-in disadvantage for Ole Miss compared to upstart Georgia relative to recruiting him or even Clemson, Alabama, et cetera. This was, it's got to be about Arch. And I think the new staff at Ole Miss understands that. Lane isn't going to pander to Peyton and Eli or even Cooper for that matter beyond he's my top targets, you know, dad kind of thing. And I think that's good for Ole Miss, but I think it's got to be an individualized approach to Arch Manning because all those built-ins are, are built in. Don't tell me what my grandfather did here and show, you know, and show me how I compare. I mean, that's what we're doing in the media, right? That's what, you know, the blogs are doing uh, to Arch, you know, and I'm sure he sees it. So don't, don't follow on that. Make it a personalized approach. And like you mentioned with Lane and, and Jeff Levy, for that matter, because that's a heck of a, a tag team there. And, and it makes you wonder how long they'll be there. But that's a story for another day. 
Look at what I did with Blake Sims. That, that's Lane Kiffin's approach. Look at what I did with a guy who was considering playing running back a couple of years earlier at Alabama, right? Look at the early development of, of Jalen Hurts, which has crescendoed now in, in the NFL as a starter. Look at those things. Look at the recruitment and the evaluation Lane Kiffin had of while having Tua Tengovailoa committed, going out and getting a Mac Jones in the same class. Because that goes beyond physical evaluation. This wasn't a, well, Mac Mac's skill set can complement Tua's down the road if it comes to a race between those two. No, no, no. This was a personal and personality evaluation. Anybody who covered recruiting in, I guess, 2016, 2017, that was the summer of Tua. Everything was about that kid. So to go and get a kid after that took an identifier of a personality just as much as it did with, hey, do you have the skill set to play at Alabama? You needed the kind of kid who was confident in his own ability to go compete with Tua, knowing that it was the summer of Tua. And he found that in Mac Jones. Though, Mac Jones and Blake Sims, those are the two, the two kids that you bring up if you're Lane Kiffin. It's easy to to talk to uh and to talk about you know lane's quarterbacks from from even before that that's easy just just turn on turn on a game what go to youtube that, that's an easy sell dig deeper with blake sims and that development as well as mac jones's because mac even mac will tell you he wasn't ready year one year two maybe even year three at alabama that took a, a lot of time and lane kiffin deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think Lane's own journey and um, his own development is something to be said. You know, that that Mike Wilbon rant against Lane was really casual earlier this week. It was very 2009 talking Oakland Raiders, Tennessee Vols and and USC. You know, it's 2021. It's been 12 years since since the since the jokes on Lane were beyond the Twitter world. And the self-deprecation world. To be fair, that's probably the last time Wilbon watched a college football. True, true. I mean, poor Northwestern grad. I mean, why would he watch college football? But, you know, that's, that's, to me, that's the story. That's the story with the whole Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss approach. It needs to be personal to Arch, and it needs to be about ball. It needs to be about the development of those guys. Because, again, all indication is, or all indications are, I should say, is that Arch really cares about this stuff. Uh, so maybe the emotion of UGA will wear off. Um, but the X's and O's of Lane and Sark in particular won't. And I think th- those are the biggest sells for those two coaching staffs because there's a little bit of transition everywhere else in terms of the guy, you know, at, at Clemson, is Tony Elliott going to be there? Arches four years? Probably not. At Georgia, Tom Monken's the new guy. At Alabama, Bill O'Brien's the new guy. At, at LSU, Jake Peets is the new guy. At Texas and at Ole Miss, it's year one or year two quarterback guys as head coaches. So I, I think those personal approaches have to be in there for Arch because by, again, all indication, he's paying very close attention to it and he'll be watching Ole Miss even though he'll be wearing an Alabama lanyard on Saturday. And I think it's important that we note one thing. Um, a lot of casual college football fans who will see that he's on TV and and be just sort of 
generally informed about the fact that he's a man like people that aren't as tuned into recruiting as as I am or certainly as you are um they're gonna kind of think hey if Ole Miss beats Alabama this weekend that could really change things for Arch it won't Mm -mm. it'll help sure maybe like yeah that's cool that's that's another feather in Lane Kiffin's cap like look what I just did but that's that's not how this works what will win or lose if Ole Miss comes out and really gives Alabama trouble and scores a lot of points, even if it's the same result as last year where Alabama wins 63 to 46 or whatever the score was, Arch is still going to look at that and be like, yeah, that wasn't a fluke. This guy knows what he's doing. This is a really good offense that I could excel in. And that's the most important thing is that not that Ole Miss wins, but that they look good, win or lose. And even if they don't, it's not the end of the world. It's it it's not even close. It doesn't matter if they really don't look good. It just helps their case if they continue to look that good against Alabama, against LSU later and AM, which is really good defense, and all of those, all of those other schools in the SEC, they need to keep the lane train rolling. Yeah, he's gonna see him twice. So the if, only school if, he's gonna see twice too. If Saturday's a dud offensively for Ole Miss, and then he sees the improvement the 23rd against LSU in Oxford, you know, that that now that becomes a part of the evaluation. And again, it just feels like this is a longer play. You don't think the Manning family is going to watch the coaching carousel this December just in case oh, before sure. they lock into a group? And look, it, 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 that's... Nobody talks about that, but, you know, USC is open right now, right? What, you know, what if James Franklin calls Arch tomorrow and he's kind of the buzz, buzzwordy candidate right now for USC? Maybe some, some will say Lane Kiffin, although he denied that earlier today. But again, it's September. What, what the hell are these guys supposed to do? They're coaching other teams. Um, you don't think they're going to take that into consideration? It's been the most calculated recruiting plan of all time. That, again, the more you talk it out, it's like this thing is this thing might go into January or, or beyond. I, I just don't see how or even why Arch would would make an emotional decision when all indication is that this kid is not that guy. So, yeah, I, I think the long term evaluation of these teams is very important in this conversation. So, yeah, one game, one day, one performance is absolutely not going to matter. You're 100 percent right. Okay, so we'll we'll go on to these next three. We'll do it. We'll do a little bit more streamlined of an approach because I don't want to keep you for two and a half hours because we could talk about this literally all day. Yeah. Um, let's kind of lump Alabama and Clemson into the same conversation here, which is fair. Obviously, the two most successful programs in the country over the last decade. Ohio State's right behind them, but you know they're not even close to where Alabama and Clemson have been. Um, how does the how does the recruitment shake out there? Because the easy things for for those programs to say is, have you seen what we've done over the last decade? Really, for Alabama over the last almost fifteen years with Nick Saban, all of our quarterbacks win national championships at least once. All of our uh, all of our offensive stars are always up for for Heisman trophies. They always set records. We always get 
the brightest minds to come in and replace the, the brightest mind that just left to go be a head coach somewhere else. And we can turn out and our system works no matter what we do, no matter where we go, we're always going to win. That's a very easy sell for some, to someone like Arch who like, I mean, if we're being fair, it, in certain ways, it would be a major risk for him to go somewhere like Texas or, or somewhere like um, Ole Miss, because that's not a place where he could guarantee a national championship. If you go to Alabama or Clemson, you're probably going to win a national championship at some point. That has to play a big factor, right? It's the one thing the Mannings didn't do, right? None of them won a national title. Not, I mean, Peyton got really close, and they won it the year after he left, ironically. But that's kind of the one thing. They, they've got the Super Bowls. They're all Hall of Famers, all of that. You know, the Natty is, has been elusive for this group. Um, you got to imagine that comes up at Thanksgiving, right? You got to imagine that that that's an easy kind of dig against them. If one of them starts rambling on, you know how how the brothers are, right? The Manning brothers, quick to knock each other down and, and great fun. You know that comes up. So yeah, if winning outweighs quarterback development and execution, tied to a coach like Elaine Kiffin, like a C. Sarkeesian, et cetera. Obviously, those two have a strong sell and the strongest sell for any recruit from anywhere, for that matter. But, again, the guys pulling the trigger beyond Nick Saban and Davo Sweeney, which figure to be there throughout Arch's college career, which is crazy to say given Saban's age, but there's, there's no indication that that will change. And, again... From the Manning perspective, I guarantee you that comes up and how thorough they're going to be. And if it hasn't come up yet, whenever Saban has his his personnel guy hand him the sheet of paper with the recruits he's supposed to meet with, whenever that Manning name is on there, it's going to come up if it hasn't already. What about the, the transition underneath? That Clemson group can't stay together forever. Tony Elliott comes up every single time. And now after Jeff Kelly left to um, South Florida, or Jeff Scott, excuse me, after he left to South Florida, now there is a, a leak in that, str- that stronghold that Dabble had over his assistant coaches. And if there's one to move on next, it's going to be Tony Elliott. So how does that factor in? Again, I think this takes it beyond carousel season in terms of this decision for, for these reasons. And then at Alabama, my goodness, it's been the most positive revolving door of all time, right? I mean, the two guys we're talking most about, Sarkin and Kiffin, those are the two, you know, brightest stars in the Nick Saban rehabilitation coaching clinic that that never ends. But the guys there now, Bill O'Brien, Doug Marone, some of them, that it feels like those those guys have NFL aspirations. It's not it's not a bounce back into college kind of vibe, at least not right now. So it begs the question: Who's next after them? Especially since Arch is again a class of twenty twenty three recruit. So the so January of twenty three is when Arch is the earliest time Arch is expected to be in college, unless he pulls a Quinn Ewers or or Gavin Wimsett. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. So I, 
So that year, who's going to be calling the plays for Alabama? Again, Saban isn't the play caller. The system is similar, which, again, is more of a feather in the cap for Lane Kiffin because that's when it changed. Um, the system is similar. The development will have to be different. You can't expect Sark to do what Lane did. You can't expect Bill O'Brien to do what Sark did or Mike Loxley or Brian Dable or any of those guys. You can't expect that to continue at the same trajectory under Saban. And that's independent of when things actually change there. So I think the Bama cell is the most businesslike of all of them. It is the most, you're going to come here, you're going to work for your spot, independent of your name. So that has a little bit of the creating your own legacy vibes. But the legacy of the recent quarterbacks has been so strong that it becomes a lot to live up to, just like it would be at Ole Miss or Tennessee if they were in the race. At Clemson, to me, that's that's the one where it's like you got to sell the whole family. You got to get all the Mannings to uproot their SEC mentality to end up there. Because everywhere else is, is very SEC, right? Texas will obviously be there by the time we think, by the time Arch is playing. Everything else is SEC. Georgia, LSU, um, Alabama. Ole Miss, all classic SEC and new and modern SEC. And then Clemson is like on its, on its own, on an island in the ACC, different development, different system. The Clemson family, that whole cell of continuity, I think is a Manning family cell. But again, all indication is that the ball is totally in Arch's court. So it just makes Clemson feel a little bit more far-fetched, even if Tony Elliott is their OC in 2022 it, it just clemson is is the as, as georgia has been the hot name up clemson feels like the hot name down in this conversation just again talking it out relative to some of these other schools they will get him back on campus everybody went nuts when arch was there for the camp um but it was just a camp so we'll see when he visits and all of that if, if clemson can make up some ground but i right now Clemson is where I thought LSU was two weeks ago, where it's like, mm, they're in it, but are they in it? That's where it feels to me. Um, everyone's saying the right things about Clemson. You understand the quarterback legacy in recent history, but the feel there just feels it's a notch or two below Texas, Georgia. And let's be honest, Alabama's going to hang around regardless of any report. We know, we just know this, right? Alabama is going to hang around. Uh, just because they're, they're Alabama, they're going to get them on campus this weekend. It's going to go well, which is why we don't prioritize, you know, recruit reactions to visits at SI because they all pretty much go well. So let's let's put them in tier systems, right? To me, it's Texas, Georgia, Alabama. And then the middle tier is Ole Miss. Maybe by, maybe by themselves, but LSU's longevity is going to keep them in this race is, is what we're learning today. And I think Clemson is somewhere thereafter um, as it currently stands. But again, this is going to play out. So um, we, we've got a lot of, of Arch Manning conversation to, to continue. So um, he'll be on TV in the next few weeks as well, by the way. So we can all watch and validate all the stuff we've been talking about for so long. Um, yeah, and we, we can... Talk about LSU for about thirty seconds, maybe. Um, I, I'll start. I, I, I appreciate that LSU is not out of this race. Um, 
because I mean, let's face it that over the, over the last, you know, decade or so, even when, when Les Miles was there and under Ed, Ed Orgeron, it always seemed like the team's one weakness was a quarterback. Um, and then they get a quarterback in Joe Burrow and yeah, Brady helped a lot, but they got Burrow and they win a national championship. And that's always been the thing with LSU. If they could just get that quarterback, Arch would be that quarterback. There's no doubt about that. Um, Are they realistically in this race though? I mean, uh, yeah, I appreciate that they're in the top six that, that you're, that you're naming that, you know, that makes sense to about what we've been tracking and hearing, but are they really in this race? Short-term, no, of course not. But again, this thing's going to stretch out. Now, the, the question marks, if it extends through the carousel, point first to LSU. We've, we've kind of notched Bama and Clemson down a peg because of that. But if that's the case, it notches LSU down a big, a big jump. Um, you know, LSU's got to survive Auburn this weekend before the Ed Orgeron whispers start to come back. Um, and obviously they've, they've got the whole SEC West schedule ahead of them. They're not going to be favored against Bama. They're probably not going to be favored against Ole Miss. Arkansas, who knows? That's like what LSU wants it to. Well, that, Arkansas is what Orgeron wants LSU to be, but they're not that right now. A&M still got, if, if not for Georgia's dominant defense, that A&M defense is right there with, with Arkansas and, and some of the best in the country. So if you don't survive Auburn Saturday, which, spoiler alert, I've, I've got Auburn winning that game, what becomes of the LSU angle to anybody, much less than the most coveted high school recruit we've talked about on the football field since Trevor Lawrence? but he wrapped that thing up really early. So it didn't really have time to blossom to a national race. Like Trevor Lawrence wasn't considering Texas and USC and schools outside of that Southeastern footprint. It was, you know, Georgia, Bama, Tennessee, Clemson. And that was kind of it. So maybe the most coveted football recruit since the, this recruiting era started on the internet 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean that's if you if you don't know if, if your coach is going to be there in four days, how could we, how could we say LSU is in the thick of it? Now there's a contingency plan. I'm sure that the AD there is trying to figure things out, and we'll see. But I think LSU is the biggest wait and see on this entire list because there will be turnover if Ed Orgeron salvages this thing. Assistance will be turned over. I mean, this happened every year under him so lsu is the hardest argument to make beyond it being the in-state school and the local school that has the longest relationship with arts today that's that's it's just the easiest most casual they're in it because of the the family's a new orleans family so they're in it because of that that is that is really the juice from LSU is Pete's doing a good job yes he checks in every week does the family appreciate Orgeron's unique personality of course who wouldn't want to hear Orgeron on, on this podcast but it's different when you're talking about sending a kid there for four years probably three years but let's just say four years because that's what we've been saying in this business so 
LSU has an interesting sell, but that is the one that is most touch and go if it extends beyond December, which again, all indication is that it, it's going to extend beyond December before he makes a decision. And even if he doesn't, let's say he commits to LSU on the, uh, you know, after he watches them play Ole Miss in Oxford. Cool. Do, do, do you as an administration now, and this is the bigger picture here, this is really putting it out there. If LSU goes six and six, or let's, let's give him seven and five. If LSU goes seven and five, but has Arch Manning on the commitment list, does that keep Ed Orgeron in Baton Rouge? People will say yes to that. It should be a resounding no, but there is a contingency of people and LSU fans will be included that will say, well, it's terrible, but we got Arch Manning coming in. But ladies and gentlemen, this is not basketball. <laughs> you cannot make a longstanding decision with a coach for one recruit. I don't care if it's Arch Manning. You can't do it. So it might not even matter on the timeline here because by the time Arch Manning enrolls at College X, will Ed Orgeron be the coach of LSU? I just, my, my gut says no. My gut says no. And I think it's, it's close to 50-50. And, and it's the only one of all the schools we're talking about that is in danger of losing the head coach because of a lack of success. You know, maybe one of these other coaches gets a, NFL offer or they move up quote unquote you know but in terms of moving down like you got fired because you're not good enough Ed Orgeron is the only one in the realm of possibility among these six schools we're talking about so they are they are an outlier all, all on their own as well um yeah and look I I've heard this from you mentioned this stuff about uh about Arch and keeping Ed around if he's a commitment, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I've seen being plugged into the Ole Miss scene as, as a fan before anything else um, happened in the last few months. I, uh, I'm obviously very tuned into the, to what fans are talking about and the community and all that stuff in Oxford. And there are people saying, that if Lane Kiffin doesn't get Arch, and this is just fans, I have to. This is just fans that I've that I've heard or seen on the internet. There's this is not journalists or anybody worth talking about, really. But I've legitimately seen them say things like, "If Kiffin doesn't get Arch, they need to move on and find somebody who will win over Arch," or. If Kiffin gets Arch, we have to, you know, keep him around at all costs, which, I mean, you want to do, you want to keep Lane Kiffin around as long as you can anyway, because he's the best coach you've, you've had in what already ever, maybe. So it's a long time at least. So it's just, it's just crazy what this type of excitement and, and and fanfare and all that stuff around the 16 year old kid it feels like basketball i know it's i've never seen anything like it it's in recruiting there's always a lot of a lot of buzz and hoopla but this is on a completely different level and it's to the point this is the last thing we'll talk about before i finally let you get out of here <laughs> but you know, we touched we touched on this a couple of weeks ago and we talked about arch when 
he makes his commitment, it's going to change. It's not just going to change the, the outlook of the program that he commits to in terms of like, wow, in a couple of years, they're really going to be a force to be reckoned with. Their entire recruiting outlook is going to shift. I mean, once he commits, I mean, there's guys that he's very close with who they haven't said it publicly, but it sure seems like they're waiting to see what Arch does before they make their commitment. John Tay Cook. That's natural. John Tay Cook, Ruben Owens, um, guys like that, like they want to see where the quarterback's going to go. It's like, you know, Texas was okay in recruiting until they got Malik Murphy. And then after they get Malik Murphy, they've gotten 15 other guys or something like that. All And it's their best recruiting class in, in quite a while. Um, and th- that's just how it goes. A&M's 2023 class, they get um, – who's the quarterback that got Holstein. his name? Is, yeah, Eli Holstein, who might be as good as Arch. He just doesn't get the hoopla of it. He, that Arch gets he's, Eli Holstein is a dude. Yeah, like we we haven't done rankings for twenty three. Um, Arch Manning is not a shoe in to be the number one quarterback, much less number one player. And that's no disrespect to Arch. Right, there's a great great quarterback class in twenty three, much more reminiscent of of twenty twenty one than than this current class. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but I mean the, the quarterbacks corner the market, so to speak, for a team's recruiting is I don't really know where to go from here, but is he going to change the tide more than any other quarterback we've ever seen in terms of recruiting? In my time covering recruiting, you know, Lawrence, Lawrence picking Clemson made Georgia and Atlanta specifically uh, just a pick and prod for for Davo and company and you you think of some of their best players over the last however many years a lot of Atlanta guys on that list beyond beyond Trevor Lawrence um so that had a, a galvanizing effect Tua who we talked about in that summer of Tua had a galvanizing effect on on Alabama's class even though it was going to be great anyway but that was you know that was the class we're talking about is I mean, I, I've already stamped this after that na- national title game um, in January. The 2017 Bama class is the greatest recruiting class of all time, certainly in the modern era. And Tua was such a big reason why beyond his his left arm, I was going to say his right arm, beyond his left arm. It, it When you have that guy, it changes everything about a recruiting class because it creates the benefit of the doubt. If it's a easy to see talent like those guys were and Justin Fields committing to Georgia the Georgia got the number one class that year how does it not correlate right I mean we don't talk about it because because he left but you know he was committed to Penn State and he, and then his rise began and it made Georgia fans like forget that they missed on Trevor Lawrence because that summer was the summer of Justin not Trevor Trevor was like the fall of every year, but Justin had the, had the galvanization impact that summer and he won the elite 11 and all that stuff. And they had the number one class. So there's a direct correlation on the field and in recruiting when you have that bona fide star quarterback recruit committed. We saw it last year with Oklahoma and Caleb Williams signing an unbelievable 
freshman receiver class in particular, which a lot of those guys are playing as true freshmen. Uh, we're going to see it with Arch Manning. And I think you could see it more just because the hype just started so much earlier than it did for all of the guys we're talking about, except for Trevor Lawrence, maybe. Maybe it started earlier for Trevor, but it's just already bigger for Arch. You know who reads our stories? Kids. <laughs> you know who looks at the rankings? Kids, recruits themselves. That, that matters so much to them. So they are already abreast of what's happening. So when you get that guy committed, that school just is that much more appealing. These are, we talk about all the, the lack of emotion with Arch. That, that is rare in recruiting. These are 16 and 17 year old kids. They are emotional. They are emotional decision makers. That's why kids commit every weekend on these visits. Arch won't do it, but most do it. So when you are looking at a school that has that guy committed, of course you're more inclined to say yes, especially if you're an offensive player. 100%. This, this could change everything in recruiting. One, I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. This, this is going to be probably the most interesting thing that we are dialed into, at least for the next few years. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to really see anything like this again um, in our careers in terms of excitement around one recruit, um, especially one that isn't even ordered old enough to buy a pack of cigarettes yet. Um, it's, it's certainly aging yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for real. But I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's certainly something else, but, um, you know, once it happens, we'll be all over it. Uh, I know you'll be all over it. Um, so for people to find out, you know, tell them where they can find you. In addition to the Longhorns Country Podcast, of course, you can find me at SI and SIAllAmerican.com, your free home for college football and basketball recruiting coverage. And yeah, we're going we're gonna to watch Arch play later this fall. We'll watch him on TV before that. And yeah, we'll, we'll be all over this uh, from the jump. So please, uh, please check us out, SIAllAmerican.com. And don't be modest, John. Plug your new podcast. Oh, yeah. Next up, podcast. Uh, a lot of college football talk there, a lot of picks. We do dip into recruiting and even the NFL. We, we fancy ourselves as a podcast covering football at every single level. So check us out on Apple and Spotify at the Next Up podcast starring John Garcia Jr., which is the first time I've said that out loud. <laughs> well, I can't. I've been, I've been listening to your, uh, to your beginning to that thing, and it's, it's going very well, and I'm happy for you. It's a great podcast. Um, But that's going to do it for another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. Uh, We are up on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google, um, Spotify, you name it, we are there. Um, You know, follow us for all the latest in Longhorns news and recruiting and and all that good stuff. Um, We will will be back next week for a Texas OU preview that we – I'm very excited about it. I've got at least four different guests lined up already. I'm angling on locking down a fifth. Um, all of them are going to be pretty fun. Um, got a couple former Texas players in there. So, so keep your eyes out for that. Um, 
But yeah, that's going to do it. Like, rate, and subscribe. Tell your mom, tell your dad, tell everybody you know, every Longhorn fan about the Longhorns Country Podcast, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yes, sir. We'll be back. Yes, sir. Bye. 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 Bye.